Okay, if you would please turn to the first John. I'll be reading first John chapter two, verses seven through eleven. First John two, seven through eleven. Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness still. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Blessed is the reading of God's holy, infallible, inerrant, and clear word. What we are reading here in 1 John ought to be a required class in every church titled, Test Yourself to See if You Are a Christian. In this morning's passage, there is a direct connection to what we saw in last week's passage where John said that a crucial proof that a person is actually a Christian is that he or she is keeping, or in a direction of life, keeping the commandments of God. This is a more sure evidence of true salvation than, but I feel close to God. I feel my heart when the music plays my favorite choruses. Because at the core of a response to the true gospel is a heart of faith. And that faith is seeing and embracing the goodness and the beauty of what the heart sees in the gospel. And thus, it sees God's commands for what they truly are. For my good, and it finds itself, therefore, walking according to those commands. That's what we saw last week. Now, this morning, John just drives the same point home. Last week, it was general, keeps his commands, and as the New Testament often does. You want to sum up the whole law of God's commands? It's love your neighbor. Is yourself. And so now he just drives it home with a specific command of love. And the point, therefore, for every believer is that we should daily be seeking vertically God in His Word and in prayer and not stopping so that throughout each day we will be pursuing, loving, forgiving, doing good, to others in order to confirm that our profession of faith is real. John, in this passage this morning, is still making clear what he said last week in verse 3. By this we know that we have come to know Him if we keep His commandments. And so as we approach this passage this morning, and it seems to differ from what we may think a true Christian is or what it is to be a Christian, let's assume the Apostle John is correct and that we would therefore need to change our thinking. Let's pray. And so, Father, to that end, I ask that I be used 
not not as a hindrance to the truth in this passage, to the words and to the construction and to the sentences and to the paragraph, but that I be used as a conduit to allow it to be clear to our minds. And by your Spirit, would you apply it to our hearts, to the glory of Jesus, and to the assurance of our salvation. Amen. So let's start there in verses 7 and 8. John writes, Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in Him and in you, because the darkness is passing away, and the true light is already shining. Okay. He's writing an old commandment. Well, it's also new. What commandment? Commandment is the commandment of loving other persons and not hating them. We, we know that from the context because when he applies what he just said here in verses 9 to 11, he makes it crystal clear. He's talking about love your neighbor as yourself. He's specifically applying it to within the church in this passage right here. It's the commandment of love towards other people. Now the question is, okay, John, in in what sense is it not a new commandment, but an old commandment? I mean, why are you saying that, John? Why, Why are you emphasizing that? Beloved, I am writing to you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. So what's he doing? Notice that he says, it's old in the sense, look at the context, that you have had it from the beginning. It is what you have always heard since the gospel came to you. It's not new. That phrase from the beginning defines what John means by the old commandment. From the beginning of what? From the beginning of creation? What are you saying, John? No. Because the next clause tells us exactly what he means by from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you, his original readers, the church over in Asia Minor, it is the word that you have heard. This old commandment of love was part and partial of the gospel that you heard from the beginning. John is driving home the point that the very moment you guys have first heard the gospel, it was also made crystal clear that the saving response to the gospel, that is, the faith that responds to the gospel means a change of heart that will manifest itself in loving others person. In other words, he's saying, church, and we're going to get to the context why he's doing this in a minute, I I am not putting on you some new Christian duties like love other people. He says this is not new. It's not 
an add-on to the gospel of grace. It's not an, an addendum to what it means to be saved in Jesus. It is the old word you have heard from the very start of your Christian life. Now, I think many people today probably think it is added on to saving faith. There are doctrines within the evangelical church. I've run across them very personally. I've watched them destroy some people's lives that teach grace means no matter how you live, therefore, in the future is irrelevant to whether you belong to Jesus and will be saved in the resurrection or not. John says, your loving others has always, from the very beginning, been the evidence of your faith, the evidence that you are born again. And just kind of maybe listen in the background to that phone conversation that you can't hear the other side. The false Christian teachers, his opponents, may have been claiming John is distorting the gospel by adding works, or in other words, how you live, whether you obey God's commands, whether you love others. Like in our day and age, many have said, you can be saved by Jesus. You can have Jesus as your Savior from sin and hell, but not necessarily have Him as your Lord whom you obey. No. John says, this has always been part of the foundational gospel from the beginning. Obedience to God and His Word and His commands, not we've seen week after week. It's not perfection. It's not sinless. But there's a pathway. It is absolutely necessary not as the cause of a person's salvation, but as the evidence of their salvation. So I dare say that today in 2014, people within the church and outside the church are desperate to hear the complete gospel message. And to hear it, as John says, from the very beginning so that they don't get deceived about whether they are saved or not. So that they're not deceived about what saving faith looks like and is. A changed heart and thus direction of living is not optional. What people should hear is that God has sent His Son. That Jesus of Nazareth is the fulfillment of the prophecies of David's Son coming and sitting on a throne. And He came and died as a substitution for your sins and was raised from the dead. And God freely, without cost, you could never earn it, offers you eternal forgiveness and offers you unbelievable power that changes your heart and thus produces obedience in loving other persons. So John here, he's saying, when I require you to obey God's commands, church, and to love others in order to maintain your assurance of salvation, this is not new. I'm not adding something on to the gospel of grace down the road of your Christian life. It is the old commandment that you've had from the get-go. Now, and John says, even though now 
It is old. In that sense, this commandment is also new in another sense. Verse 8. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. So what is he doing? First notice at the end that word in the Greek, a day, and then modifying the word shining, present tense, ongoing, something is happening. Not that it's just happening, it's over, but it's happening even now. A day, already happening. It's already shining. Hmm. What's that mean? That's got to mean that there was something that was expected to be happening in the future, but it is already shining. Like my, my children, if they're waiting their friends to come over at 4 p.m., and they come running to me at 3.30 and say, Dad, they are already here. Wasn't expected. They've come early. John says it is new. It's new in the sense that the darkness, not that it's passed away and there's no more darkness, there's no more evil, there's no more sin. No, no, no. But something has happened in history, according to John. The darkness is, present tense, in the process of passing away. And the new light is already shining. What John is referring to is the now, not yet, tension in the New Testament concerning the kingdom of God. The Old Testament foretold of this future glorious kingdom where heaven essentially will come to earth, wipe out all evil, Satan, demons, sickness. There will be no more death. There will be perfect perfection in God's glory through David's son, the king, the Messiah, and they're waiting for this kingdom to come. That's what the Old Testament says. And then Jesus comes on the scene and he says, It's already here. Behold, the kingdom of God is at hand. The power of the kingdom spiritually has invaded the world in the coming of Jesus. It is here. It was present with Jesus. It's present now, and its light is still shining, even though that kingdom is still not yet. That in, in its consummation, in its totality, in its transforming, dead, sickly, aging, dying bodies like mine and yours, where there will be no more sin, still remains future. Yet, in a sense, spiritually, that kingdom has invaded the world and it is already here shining. It's now spiritually already working. Even though the perfect consummation of that kingdom is still yet future. This is what's in John's mind. And as he records Jesus' words, remember, unless you are born again, because the 
kingdom has invaded the world. You can't see it with your eyes. But unless you are born again, you can't see this kingdom nor enter that kingdom. You won't see that light and that light won't enter you unless God acts in new birth. Okay, so now here in our text, John says that because this true light is shining, therefore, the commandment of loving others is true. It's real in Jesus of Nazareth. See that? It's true in Him and in you. See it? You who? You who are in the kingdom. You who are born again. You within whom the light is shining and you have come into the light. You who have been changed in Him. That commandment of loving others is being realized. That's what he says. Read it again. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you. That, 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 here's the commandment. The new commandment which is true in Him and in y'all. Why, John? Why is that true? Not just in Jesus, but in those who belong to Him. Answer, because the darkness is in the process of passing away. And the true light is already shining. In other words, with the coming of the Holy Spirit, into the heart with the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The true light breaks in to a person's heart, those who are being saved, and thus makes love possible. True love. Biblical loving your neighbor possible. This loving others is true in Jesus. That one man who did it perfectly manifested the essence of human love for others. It is absolutely true and fulfilled in Jesus. And because of Him, it's fulfilling itself in you who are born again. It's new in that sense. You see, the people in the old covenant, the vast majority of whom were not born again, could not keep God's commandments, even if they obeyed them outwardly. They could not actually love others the way God is saying because they remained unregenerate. They remained in the darkness of their sin. But in Jesus, we see this command of love, remember which fulfills all of God's law, fulfilled in Him. It has been realized in Jesus, it is, according to John, true in Him. And then he says, it is also true, it is also realized in you, church. Jesus has made it possible for those within whom the light has penetrated the heart for them to keep his commandments. Not legalistically, but truly with a genuine heart of faith towards God in love for God. See, the effect of the true light that's already shining 
penetrating a, a dead soul and raising them from the dead is what produces it. Let me just go to Paul for a moment. This is how Paul says it in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. It's not just pulling a lever and joining a local Kiwanis club. Something happened in becoming a Christian that transformed the person at the core of their being. They are a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Now, this is exactly John's theme throughout this first epistle of his. Those who are new creations, or he just uses a different term, those who have been born of God, they do walk in the light by the power of the Holy Spirit. Those who have not been born of God, whether they're religious or non-religious, the unregenerate, the unbelievers, cannot walk in the light. They remain in darkness. See, those terms in the New Testament, light and darkness, they're not just belonging to the Gospel of John or to 1 John. L listen to the Apostle Paul from Colossians 1.13 for a moment. He has delivered us from the domain, the dominion of darkness, and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son. Or light. Paul would have no problem with that. The Apostle Peter, also writing in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. And so our text says this true light is already shining in the world and it is seen in the love which has come in Jesus of Nazareth. And that true light is therefore also seen in His transformed people. In Him and in you. No wonder John is so strong. I mean, he was sitting there when Jesus said, Guys, by this, shall all people know that you are my disciples. By what, guys? Because of your love for one another. Now, so now remember the context. John, what are you doing? Because of the trouble making teachers and the false ideas that are floating around now in these churches. John feels it necessary in our text to stress the oldness of this commandment and the newness of this command to love one another. He stresses the oldness in order to distinguish his teaching from the new teaching of these false teachers. Remember, in chapter 2, many of these baptized, professing Christians have left the church. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they never would have left. Why did they do that? Because at the core, they were dissatisfied with John's old message. They were interested in the new teaching. 
that really emphasize a special knowledge for those who are special. Those who are super spiritual. This was what we call this incipient, the early stages of what became full-blown Gnosticism lately. Gnostic, Gnostic from knowledge. You're in the know. And part of that was, don't you know that internally your spirit is so separated really from your body that it doesn't really matter what you do with your body and with your tongue and how you talk to others and with your sexual organs and how you sin with them. It doesn't matter because you have real spiritual knowledge and that's what matters. This is what Jesus came to bring. They're interested in the new knowledge. This is a warning for all ages. Beware of and many of you, about my age, been in the church a long time, the church world, you know what I'm talking about. Beware of God is doing a new thing over here. And over here, there's a new teaching in town that is really working. It's come in the form of the health, wealth, gospel. Come in the form of emphasizing bodily gyrations of the Holy Spirit. It's come in the form of the pop psychology gospel. Just really you're preaching pop psychology afternoon TV psychologist through the Bible on Sunday mornings. It was alive in the 70s and 80s with a self-esteem movement. It was alive and Jesus is your answer to find your real purpose in life and what you're supposed to be doing down here. The great test to see who is true and who is not is to see who is bored with the old message of the gospel that will to one extent or another produce the fruit of loving other people. And so John stressed the new command of love that it was the same old command that they have had from the very beginning of the gospel. It is not an adjustment. And then the reason he stresses the newness of the command is to make it clear that God's commands are directly connected, church, to the new covenant which meant, here's the difference between the new covenant and the old covenant according to Jeremiah and Ezekiel. To be at the core under the old covenant or an old covenant person and not in the new covenant meant to have God command you, love me, love others by not committing adultery or murdering them or stealing from them except God did not empower them with His Spirit or raise them from the dead in new birth in order that they may obey from a heart of faith. So there, take His commands, and this is what religion does, and it turns God's commandments into legalism. But the new covenant is, I will put within you a new heart. I'll take out the rock-hard heart of stone towards me, and I will give you a heart of flesh, and I will cause you to keep my ordinances and my commandments. That's God's promise in New Covenant. And Jesus came and shed His blood to purchase that. So, John wants to make it sure, oh, it's new. Something has happened in Jesus Christ. And we're not talking about a mere religion and followed steps. We're talking about a miracle in the power of God affecting you in life. And there are effects. And if there are no effects, you're not in Him. John is protecting from people interpreting God's command, even the command to love your brother in a legalistic way. But to do so 
in a God-glorifying way means a heart of faith and love that overflows in doing it. You see, legalism does not mean obeying God. He obeyed God. He's a legalist. That's not what legalism is. Legalism means that one thinks that by performing certain acts, they therefore deserve or merit or earn something from God. Now, if you're a stickler for the Bible and for text, just look closely again at verse 8. Because John wrote verse 8 in such a way that the love command to love others cannot honestly be used to encourage legalism. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in Him and in you. Key word here. Because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. So when John says the new commandment of love comes true in Jesus and the gospel comes and the Holy Spirit penetrates your heart through new birth, that command for you to love others comes true in you. Because it's the overflow of your love towards God in Christ he says, when that happens and you're obeying Him, it is because first the true light is already shining. That's the logic. Just turn it around. Start at the end of verse 8. Because Jesus has come, He's purchased the new covenant, He has sent the Holy Spirit, and He sent emissaries out preaching the gospel and it reached you and I raised you from the dead. All of that is because of the new light is shining in you. Therefore, it's becoming true in you that you're actually obeying God's command to love. Do you see that yet? Okay. Therefore, our obedience to the command to love cannot mean earn, deserve God's love or God's light. Because our obedience in loving others is God's light already shining through us. That makes sense. No, it doesn't. No, no nods. Okay, say it again. If it is God's light coming and causing us to love others, your loving others cannot be earning that light. Got that one? Okay. All right. Love doesn't deserve, our loving others doesn't deserve eternal life. And I think some of you know John's unique use often of the word eternal life in the gospel and in 1 John. It can't mean we're earning eternal life because according to John, eternal life is the life of God dwelling in believers that causes the love. So our loving as the result of His eternal life cannot be earning eternal life. Or the way that John says it actually in chapter 4, verse 12. No one has ever seen God. Now listen to him. If we love one another, God abides in us, and His love is perfected in us. So you cannot legalistically deserve God's love if our loving each other is a result of His love being perfected in us. That's John's general theology in verses 7 and 8. So, really, I should only have one more minute, but I'm going to probably have 12 more minutes of this sermon. But because at that point now, all I would normally need to do, I think, if you really got that, is just read verses 9 and 11. You say, it makes all the sense in the world, therefore. 
because now he just applies it. Okay, because of this reality of what the gospel and the Christian life is, verse 9, therefore what? Whoever says he is in the light, which according to John absolutely always is producing the commandment of loving your brother, whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in the dark. Whoever loves his brother is living or abiding, remaining in the light. And in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness is blinded his eyes. So he's saying whether a person has been indwelt by the light, the light of the kingdom of God, it is confirmed by their behavior of love of other Christians here particularly. Yes, the general, I was asked this in the last two days, yes, the general, love your neighbor, non it's true, but we're going to stick with his text about brothers. So, remember, I mean, John, I think you're getting it, he doesn't beat around the bush. He is just blunt constantly. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him is no cause for stumbling. He's saying there is no need to argue about this. It's the clear test. He's saying the effect of the cross on your heart toward God will show itself in your behavior, in your life, of love and caring for those who are also in Christ. One can be a professor of systematic theology in a theological seminary and hold to historic orthodoxy of the Christian faith intellectually and be a consistent walker of no loving of others, and thus be in darkness still. The test of your genuineness of your faith in Jesus is your life. It's your actions toward others. Those who are within the church, but they don't have any affection. They really don't have any concern for other believers. They hold grudges and they hold them consistently and quietly or maybe fake that they don't around others because of social pressure. But they still belong to the kingdom of darkness. See, for Paul, he understood that there's a huge difference in conversion. He writes about who he once was, and that's who all we once were before we came to Christ and before the light shone in, in our hearts. He says, this was at the core. And I think Paul means, oh no, it's not that people don't fake it or look pretty on the outside, but they go home, listen to the backbite, listen to their jealousy, listen to their envy towards other people, just constantly. This is what he writes in Titus, for instance, chapter 3, verse 3. Paul says, for we ourselves were once foolish. He means, before I was born again. We were once foolish, disobedient, led astray slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, 
hated by others and hating one another. That's what it means to be in darkness. The unloving person is not only, though, like a, a blind man in a china closet, stumbling about, making a wreck of his own life. But those unloving persons, he says, are not a cause for stumbling. In the Greek, it's just really, they're not stumbling. It's the word scandalous, meaning, you can hear, scandal. They cause havoc, those who don't love, in other people's lives. They're always finding troubles and problems. They have a knack for finding insults when there was no insult intended around them as this dirty cloud of tension with other people around them. They just, for no reason, they're so touchy, self-absorbed, People learn that when they're around them, it's like walking on glass. Be very careful around that person. Christians, on the other hand, are to be the opposite of that. They live in a different realm, in the realm of light. Their eyes have been opened. They have understood the good news of Jesus Christ God's love for them has infiltrated not just their head, but it has infiltrated their hearts. And it is producing loving affections and actions. See, Christians are those who, according to Paul, have been transferred from the realm of darkness into this new realm of light. And therefore, Christians are those who have come to see the nature of of their own sin. That they were hateful, spiteful, envious, jealous, and deserving of eternal judgment. But then Jesus came and He reached down through new birth by the Spirit and saved me and applied the cross to me, He made me alive to God. He's changed my heart and my affections. And now I'm in the light and that governs my new life and attitude. And so those people see other people as they see themselves. As hell-deserving, pitiful souls who either are saved in Jesus like them or can be saved in Jesus like them. So when they're attacked unjustly or slandered, they see that poor person is locked into their depravity of sin and spiritual death. And they feel sorry for her, for him, and pray for him. Their knowledge of the love of God in Jesus, therefore, in other words, makes them love other people even as they themselves have been loved by God. They therefore delight to love, especially other sinners who also, like them, have come into the light as undeserving sinners. Jesus put this perfectly in his parable of the man who owed ten millions of dollars to his master. Remember? And he went and he pleaded for mercy. Please don't take my wife and my children and sell them off into slavery and put me into prison. I beg of you mercy. And the master gave him complete mercy and absolved him of all his debt. And then Jesus says, then he went home and he had a servant who owed him a measly couple thousand dollars. 
And that servant came to him and pleaded for mercy. I will pay you back. Give me more time. And the man said, no. Jesus said, he choked him. And he had him thrown into prison. And Jesus concludes the parable this way. And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also, my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. This means essentially the same thing that John is driving at. So he's saying to us, believers, our confidence that we are in Christ is if we find Sometimes it's stronger than others, sometimes it's weaker, but there's a seed there that's real. That we find this loving and forgiving spirit within us. And so John says, those who don't have that, it's not there at all. It's not in them. They consistently, day after day, I walk in the light, I have fellowship with God. I'm a Christian. But go on holding grudges. Go on hating others. Go on passing the person that God put in their path and they could help. He's given them the means and they don't care. He says those people are in darkness. They need to flee to Jesus for salvation. So those of us who are baptized Christians, in a few moments we'll be handing out the cup and, and the bread. We'll hold them and partake of those together. But as we are partaking, oh, shall we take the Word of God preached this morning to heart as we're going to ingest it metaphorically with the bread and with the cup. And our prayer is this, oh, Father, let us be a people who constantly run desperately to you in your word and in prayer so that daily we may be filled with your light working in us and thus go off each day into our homes and outside the homes and within the church pursuing to be a better loving person so that we will be proving that our confession of faith in Jesus is genuine. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light and in him or her there is no cause for stumbling. Amen.